Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm the walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them up with. What you doing down here, you shawny man? Oh, it's been a long and lonely road for me these past couple of years, trying to rid the world of the most heinous convention in modern football, the non-celebration celebration. Thankfully, there's a new phenomenon in town, and I like it. I like it a lot. Owen Kenny Murphy here with Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hello, Hello. Owen. Hello there, Owen. Hi, what guys. are you banging on about now? It's the new pre-celebration celebration, as introduced by Ross Barkley for Everton against Bournemouth. Have you seen this? Have you heard about this? I thought it was, yeah. <laughs> I cannot, cannot did you, use that phrase anymore. Did you... Like it. Oh, Ken, if you're ever going to pick a time to do some showboating, might as well be just as you're rounding the goalkeeper in injury time with your team 5-3 up. Barkley, for those who haven't seen it, eases past the goalkeeper in the edge of the box, takes a touch to steady himself, then sticks both arms out to his side like, as he extends them fully out. As though he's about yeah. to start a, a sort of an aeroplane flying type celebration. Didn't quite go that far, but near enough. Pretty ostentatious. Then he rolled the ball into the net and then he celebrated. Yeah. No, you didn't enjoy it? Um, I know he's getting a bit of stick for, for being a little bit, I don't know, disrespectful, but... Uh, well, it, it was it was really... I was surprised by it. Because I wondered if the, there must have been some beef going on. I thought... Like, it's just not the sort of thing that you would do, I think, in normal circumstances. It was a bit like... Uh, I mean, did you see Van Persie over the weekend? No. Van Persie scored a goal um, uh, playing for... Who's he about? Fenerbahce against Besiktas, yeah. I think. Um he scored the what turned out to be the winning goal and celebrated by sliding uh, ag- aggressively past on his knees past the player uh, who <laughs> apparently used to be a, a you know a kind of a reserve player at arsenal um a dutch born uh player of turkish descent whose name escapes me uh, but evidently him and van persie have been having a bit of beef during the game because when Van Persie scored he made a point of he, he sort of yeah celebrated goal and then spotted the guy and ran past him and slid past him in honestly the most obnoxious way <laughs> I, I, I've seen it before actually Nuri Shaheen did it uh, in a famous incident with Lucas Podolski 
Um, Not the pre-celebration celebration, but the Van the, Persie over the top. The, the personalized personal celebration. Yeah. I score, pick out my enemy and the opposing team and slide oh, right yeah, past well, we've them. We've all seen that. For, uh, Suarez against... Uh, uh, Moyes. Or Moyes, of course. John, yeah, yeah, yeah. John Aldridge and Fernando Couto, even though Aldridge didn't score. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was Couto really, banged it into his own net. That was yeah. a really nasty one. It that was, was a really nasty one by John Aldridge, actually. Wasn't <laughs> one of the great football photographs of all time. Couto sitting on the ground, and Aldridge is like screaming down. Is, does Aldridge kind of uh, pinch his cheek or ruffle his hair or something like that? Scr- screaming right in his face. Oh, yeah. There's a bit of hair ruffling going on as well. Yeah. But you see, there, so there was. And a groin thrust. In each of these cases, there's obviously something, there's some special reason why they're doing that. It's not It's not a normal thing to do. And for Barkley to do something so stupendously arrogant. Are you sure it wasn't just that he got extremely excited? It was a weird game. They just scored six goals. Now, yeah. in fairness, probably if anyone was going to celebrate like that, Lukaku might have deserved it more, seeing as he'd been the one banging in the goals when the game was in the balance. But yeah. anyway, partly, yeah. I don't know, maybe he just got... got see, the, uh, the, what I don't like about the non-celebration celebration game yeah. is the false... The, the false premeditated. Too much premeditated. control. Too much control. This fake show of respect. So yeah. I like this Fabregas completely genuine Arsenal. show of disrespect. Yeah, at least yeah. It's genuine. To disrespect to everything. Disrespect yeah. to the opponent. Disrespect to his teammates. Disrespect to the game. The game. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because can you imagine if he he obviously puts himself slightly off balance by raising his arms as he's as he's running, and then <laughs> has to still put the ball in the net. And it's not like obviously it's an extremely easy shot to uh, accomplish if you are a professional footballer. On the other hand. I have seen professional footballers miss easier chances yeah. than that. He was, still, he was still about eight, eight to ten feet out, probably when he took the shot. Oh, he's a good, he's a good bit out, moving at moving at a bit of pace. You know, it's it's an easy it's an easy chance if you're you know taking it normally. If you're actually trying to fit in a celebration, mm-hmm. then your your mind is full of the oh, mm, I better if score this. Ronald Koeman tra- is not going to like this. Yeah, if, if I you're miss. pulling your trousers down and waving your bare arse in the face of karma. Yeah, you know. Uh, it's it, the chance gets exponentially more difficult. I feel. I salute Ross Barkley. Murphy, you consider me a man of my word, right? Of course, always one. Well, then I'd better deliver on the promise I made last week to announce some massive second captain's news on today's shows. If you've already heard today's non-football podcast, then you already know what I'm about to say. But if not, that might be you know aiming for utopia but that is the way i am i'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing i'm a little bit of an idealist but having said that i want to be like me Oh, Richie, God. how are we feeling this morning? I just watched the goal set to the Titanic music and it really works, Oh, It really, really works. I think this is the most fun we're ever going to have in a podcast. I don't want to get into a war awards. I don't want to get into a war awards. It's good, isn't it? Sounds <laughs> okay. You might remember Alan Ferns. Did you I used remember to... Alan Ferns? Yeah, yeah. Red haired guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Me yeah. and Alan Ferns had a fight once in the, in the Guinness Superfield uh, <laughs> dressing room. Oh, Motling Street there. Fraser and Ali and another incarnation when they were both young and I guess I was too. <laughs> Reverend Jesse Jackson, you're very welcome to the show. Well, the few people resist publicly, he uh, cast a light to lit up our pathway. 30 million watched the fight. What? Yes, that's true. Um, I was better known in Africa than I was in that's Ireland. unbelievable. He threw a hard trial, I think at David Beckham <laughs> uh, in the, is that right? No. So I had this weird thing where I was always the same weight as my age. 
<laughs> Holy shit, Kevin Murphy. It's US Murphy. Round of applause for US Murphy. That's him. Kios, right? Upstairs at Kios. Kills everyone, but that's yeah. fine. <laughs> oh, my oh, words. Oh. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened, but talk us through it. Oh, just saying. Sid Thorson is the old. <laughs> 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 Oh my god. Fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. He was about 12. <laughs> Everyone in the city knew about him, but no one had seen him. Look how happy I was. What the fuck happened? No, really. What happened? What happened? It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sport's important. I never realised how gravelly I sounded the morning after the Robbie Brady goal. Like, I, I thought I'd been a... The same yeah, <laughs> just listening back to me or you? Uh, no, to me as well. Oh, yeah. yeah I, I thought I'd been level. a model citizen that night and then I'm listening there, it's like we're both in, in, in bed, Murph. Well, I thought, what, I thought we might say, you there. know, I'm I mean, sure. it was it was an exciting day. Yeah, it really was. Those were just some of the highlights, have been some of the highlights of the four years we've been doing the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. When we started the show back in 2013, you'd tell people you presented a podcast for a living and they'd sort of look at you funny while trying to be as polite as possible. I don't know if you guys ever got this. <laughs> oh, oh, that's nice. What the hell is a podcast? <laughs> was the subtext to it you all. Say funny, pityingly. Pityingly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Thankfully, thousands and thousands of you have come along for the ride and made the show into the most enjoyable thing we've ever done. And now we'd like to invite you to join us on the next leg of the journey. Next Monday, February 13th, we're launching our brand new... You ready to whistle, Murph? Yes, don't worry. Second Captain's World Service. Nicely done. It's going to be a member-led, completely independent online station that gives you the chance to listen to all your favourite Second Captain bo- Second Captain's podcasts every day of the week. You'll have the usual two on a Monday and then a podcast every day from Tuesday to Friday. So the Irish Times Second Captain's podcast becomes the Second Captain's podcast and you get it daily. Ken's ghouls on a Wednesday, Owen's poems on a Friday. Well, no. Daily. That won't happen, but the, the ghouls might happen on a, on a Wednesday, don't worry. As well as the extra shows, you'll get a beautiful Second Captain's induction pack, a Second Captain's members badge, first option tickets to live events and lots of other lovely stuff as well. As I said, this will be led by you guys and membership will cost a fiver a month for everybody. If you don't feel you can join up as a member, that's fine. You can continue to listen to the two Monday podcasts, whatever way you're listening now but to get the daily shows from Tuesday to Friday we are really hoping that you'll join up with us where's it where's the wolf gone by the way the drunk it oh, there we are thought you were on a day off there Wolfie did you no no we're bringing him with us don't worry the Second Captain's World Service is our way of bringing you podcasts every day of the week, something a lot of you have been asking for for quite a while. It's a completely new form of independent broadcasting in the UK and Ireland, and we reckon this is the time to try it, really. Hopefully you feel the same, because we'll be relying on you to make it work. We're hoping to create a more direct relationship with you so that we can make more and more of the type of shows that we enjoy making and that you know, we hope you like listening to as well. And on that point, we will soon be announcing further programming from the Second Captain's Stable. One of the presenters, guys of the new shows will not completely surprise anybody. I gave you a hint or two in the first show today. He's already sat in this chair and presented a few pods this year. Did an okay job, I suppose. Mm. Uh, the public thought slightly better okay. than that, but whatever. Whatever, I can't, I can't give you any more hints than that. Except to say that he won scored a goal in the European 18, under-18 third-place playoffs. That's all you're getting. 
That's the last hint of the day. It uh, will feel a little bit strange not introducing the show as the Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast from next week. We've had a brilliant time working with everybody at the Irish Times. I can't overstate how supportive and enthusiastic they've been over the course of those four years. Nearly 800 podcasts we've done together. I mean, sure, as I mentioned earlier on today, myself, Mark and Simon never managed to pick up that writing gig, but that's okay. Ken and Murph are scribbling away. Uh, so that's, so that's scribbling nice. Scribbling away. Yeah. That was nice, isn't it? Uh, it's an art form, on. And I think you should pay us a bit more respect than that, quite it's frankly. It's been a super working relationship with the Irish Times and we look forward to teaming up again at some point in the future. So, bottom line, here it is. Second Captain's World Service launches on secondcaptains.com next Monday the 13th of February. You can become a member on the 13th and get six podcasts a week from then on, including daily shows from Tuesday to Friday. If you're not in a position to join up, you'll still be able to get the two Monday podcasts every week, whatever way you're listening to this show now. Email editor at secondcaptains.com or tweet us at secondcaptains.com if you have any questions before then, we really can't wait to give this a shot and see what happens. Report on Sporkin. Well, Owen, uh, I hope, I know that you had a very busy weekend. You were watching probably rugby, you were watching definitely American football, uh, you were watching African Cup of Nations final, I know. Yeah, I saw a bit of, bit of the Cup of Nations last week. GA highlights Owen, last night as well, half, ten, half nine. Owen, it was a vintage weekend of Premier League action. Sometimes the Premier League can be overlooked a little bit, you know, when these things are, you know, Six Nations is starting up and, you know, that once a year American football thing and all this kind of stuff. Uh, and what would people thinking the Premier League is so this corporate, um, uh, you know, globalist brand. Uh, actually, sometimes a lot of funny things happen in the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't want to overlook that. Yeah, the poor overlooked plucky underdog Premier League mm. needs thing, to have its day. Things are getting difficult. We're at, we're at a tough... Tough time of the season for it. It appears almost everybody, um, uh, and nowhere own tougher than at Arsenal Football Club. Uh, Arsenal Football Club, who tomorrow play Bayern. Is it tomorrow or Wednesday? It's this. It's this week they're playing uh, Bayern. They've lost their last two in the league. Uh, Watford at home, Chelsea away, and almost the worst thing. One of the worst things about this Chelsea defeat which was predictable and thorough, predictably thorough, was the way in which even Thierry Henry couldn't bring himself to point out that it was one of the most horrible fouls I've ever seen in the process of a goal being scored by Alonso. It was a horrific foul. <laughs> how can... How, Alan Shearer on match today, of course it's not... Of, that's not a foul. That's not a foul. Says Alan Shearer, thinking of the 25 goals in his career that were disallowed for precisely that foul. <laughs> right? The master of the, you know, arms in a natural position when jumping elbow to the jaw. Alan Shearer. Okay, it's understandable to me that he would not wish to see what Marcus Alonso did to Hector Bellerin as a foul. But that is a foul. And especially when two weeks ago you've got a player stretched off with a fractured skull playing against Chelsea. Now, in, in that case, that wasn't a foul. You know, the Gary Cahill, it was a forceful challenge. It was a clash of heads. It was an unfortunate thing. But dangerous play is dangerous. Was it not just that it looked worse than it was because of the fact that Alonso was running in at such a high speed? You don't often get that situation where one person is just standing there under a looping ball and the other one is steaming in at, at full speed. Yeah, well... Like, you, don't anything, think, you don't think Alonso was actually trying to take the player out of it, do you? I don't know what he was trying to do, but he certainly did. And for that reason, it should have been a foul. And possibly a sending off. I, th- I think you can't have this situation where players are allowed to just smash their elbows into other players' heads. Because the elbow smashes into Bellerin's head. 
Bellerin is out like a light before Alonso has the ball. You can see him lose consciousness. He, if anything, on it actually looked better than it was because of the nature of the incident. It, so it, it looked like kind of a natural coming together in such a way that even the Arsenal players didn't seem to notice immediately that Bellerin was lying on the ground and his arms were jerking around in that sort of telltale way when somebody has suffered a brain injury. And, you know, and, and it was actually a few seconds before they even realized there was a problem with him. Like, they probably thought he was lying on the ground thinking, oh, no, there it goes again. <sighs> Sheesh, we're already one nil down after just a few minutes. Oh, I suppose I'll have to get up now and play the remaining 78 minutes. Oh. Uh, and it was only kind of after a little while they went, oh, hang on, our, our teammate here has been, has been smashed. So from that point of view, okay, maybe the referee... Maybe the referee didn't see it. You know, it happened quickly. They didn't realize how bad it was. But it was awful. And the idea that, that pundits can watch that and go, that's not a foul, is stunning to me and just shows that when you are weak, people actually think you deserve that to happen to you. It's like, yeah, that's Arsenal, isn't it? And you're like, no, that's, that shouldn't be. It shouldn't be like this. That was, you have to at least say afterwards, this is a serious foul. This is dangerous play. No way should this goal have stood. The goal stood. Chelsea scored a couple more goals. Anyway. I don't think people are being willfully... Uh, I don't think they're willfully ignoring the play just because... I, I don't know. It's just maybe because it's Arsenal and they, there's a uh, hint that ah, they're, not, they're not quite tough enough. I just think it's one of those weird situations that people are... You, you don't see it that often in quite, that, quite those circumstances. So it can be a little bit difficult to work out what you actually think about it. Even if you're coming, I suppose that's the job of commentating live on TV. You have to come to those decisions pretty quickly and, and back yourself. But. Yeah. No. I mean. Anyway. Yeah. It, we, it, could, we could be here all day again. Yeah, uh, and we've got, we do have a lot to talk about here, um, because Arsenal obviously conceded a couple, another couple of goals. Eden Hazard scored an amazing goal. Um, I'd say one of the things he, I'd say the thing he enjoyed most about the goal was the way that he swatted. Cockland aside, not once, not twice, but three times, and eventually, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just using just using his arse. All he had to do was buffet his arse against Coughlin a couple of times and he took him down. That was incredible, considering that he's also dribbling at high speed. And you kind of knew he's coming into the box. He is going to score here. Yeah. And you would be inclined to say that perhaps, you know, Coughlin should be able to fight off, you know, Eden Hazard's arse. At, you know, maybe the second time around. Certainly the third time around. Yeah. He'd per- he perhaps should have, you know... It prepared himself. It wasn't the, the pr- it wasn't the proudest moment uh, of his career, and it wasn't. It didn't look like it was the proudest moment of Fabregas. It certainly wasn't the proudest moment of Petr Cech's career. It was probably the worst mistake I've ever seen Petr Cech make in the in the Premier League when he wafted this weak left footed clearance straight to Fabregas, who seemed to almost apologise before he hit the ball, a bit like Barkley. I'm <laughs> Antoninus. You know, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Deposits the ball into the back of of Chelsea's net and then almost manages to burst into tears as he as he uh, hangs his head looking a bit like Tom Brady on the bench when the shot of Tom Brady uh, before it all turned around they're losing 28-3 and Tom Brady is on the bench and loads of people were saying ha 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 Tom Brady um, God I still can't believe Tom Brady came back from that <laughs> there's a bit of that bit of chat about the Super Bowl in our other podcast today but of course uh, there was a little bit of anger from the Arsenal supporters then. Uh, people were waving banners. And in the Sky commentary booth, Gary Neville was not impressed. He's an idiot there. Look at that. He's an idiot. 
What a total idiot. And I actually didn't see the fan he was referring to, but it seemed like some fan was holding up a, you know, piece of paper, finger, must go, or you know, something along those lines. And um, Gary Neville actually returned to this uh, theme in his, in his comments yesterday. Will we hear a little bit of Gary Neville? I walked out the Chelsea ground yesterday and there was a couple of these Arsenal fan TV camera things everywhere. And to be honest with you, it was embarrassing listening to it and watching. I was watching Chelsea fans taking the mickey out of them, which was a little bit funny. But I was watching Arsenal fans slating and slanging into him. I thought, Joseph, he doesn't deserve that. No, I agree. He doesn't deserve that. Well, that's one thing he doesn't deserve. He's done an unbelievable job. And Joseph, if he was to announce his retirement at the end of the season tomorrow, everybody would plough in with tributes. They'd say he's amazing. And in eight months' time, ten months' time, they might be thinking, I wish he was still here. Well, this is something that we alluded to last week, that Arsenal Fan TV seems a little more vitriolic than all the others. Things haven't been going too well for Liverpool lately. And didn't we play a clip from Liverpool's Fan TV station yeah. last week? It was all quite poetic and philosophical. <laughs> yeah, reflective. Wider reflective. issues affecting football. <laughs> yeah, whereas, yeah, Neville, I think Neville's hit on something there. Well, I was writing about this on today in the Arsenal. Ah, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. That's, it's, it's quite all right, Owen. But, uh, Any good? Are you happy with it? Yeah, you know, it's, it's an interesting, interesting subject to, to talk about. Um, there are parts of the article that you would recommend. But why is Arsenal Fan TV so much better than the other ones at this moment? I mean, it's not so some of the other uh, channels haven't had their moments. I'll feel this one on, if you don't mind. Ken Early, Wenger, the perfect target for populists. Because Arsenal fans endure the widest gap between what they want and what they have. Well, that's you see, that's what I'm saying. said uh, in this interview he gave a while ago, uh, the, de- the philosophical definition of happiness is a match between what you have and what you want, what you want and what you have. So basically, if, if you want a certain thing, and you've got that thing, you're happy. Whereas with Arsenal, what they want is everything. And what they've got is a lovely big stadium in North London with expensive tickets. <laughs> and it's just... It's just not enough. It's not enough. So there's, there's this huge gap uh, between uh, their ideal state and their actual state, which, is, which torments them to the degree that, to the degree that they, they produce uh, consistently dynamite uh, post-match interviews after following you know, results like losing 2-1 to Watford. But, you know, they're, they're producing... Uh, I think there, there's an inflection point being reached here, or maybe past, where Arsenal Fan TV has become the mainstream. Uh, because you hear Gary Neville talking about, even though he kind of says the Arsenal fan TV camera things, which are cameras. Um, but there was also Robbie from Arsenal fan TV during the week. Took it, we, we hear a little bit of Robbie. He took issue during the week with some of the things that had been said by certain establishment mainstream journalists about what was going on in Arsenal fan TV. Oh, I've also got a message for some of these little journalists out there. Uh, John Cross was running up his mouth on Arsenal fan TV saying that some of the fans were embarrassing. Some of you old journalists feel that fans shouldn't have a voice and that you're the only ones that can talk on behalf of us because you're the Arsenal journalist. It's a revolution, a real revolution happening in football where fans now have got a voice. You better start respecting that voice, I'm telling you. <laughs> so, John Cross, I don't know if it would be going too far to describe him as the Queen Bee of the... Uh, sort of Arsenal-centred... It's not so he only covers Arsenal, he works for the Daily Mirror, but he, I would say he would be considered an expert uh, on Arsenal, certainly would be a, a regular at their matches at Arsene Wenger's press conferences, recently published uh, a biography of Wenger. Um, 
I, I would be a well-known figure, I'm sure, to most Arsenal fans uh, who follow it. But he seemed to, I, I didn't actually hear what he said, but he seemed to have kind of suggested that some of the criticism in Arsenal Fan TV may have gone a bit over the top. But of course, who is he? Who is he to tell Arsenal supporters that they should shut their mouths and lap up, well, shut their mouths, open them again silently and lap up what's being served up to them at, at the Emirates? <laughs> you know, because... because uh, these people are entitled to have an opinion. Spineless. Well, and, and sometimes it is it is an extreme opinion, but this, these are extreme times. Or are they really extreme times, Russell? But what is, I think what is interesting about it is obviously uh, the, you've got you've got an insurgency versus establishment thing here. You've it's got, turning. It's turning, blood. You've got Gary Neville punching down from the Sky Studio. Gary Gary Neville, who who. Uh, I don't know if you saw the, the documentary they did, The Pundit. Did we not talk yep. about this? Was this off-air yeah. that we talked we, about? Or? We, yeah. We, we so, sometimes I can't remember whether we talked on air. We definitely talked about it off-air, but I was, I was looking at this with such envy. I was thinking, oh, look at Gary Neville's it, setup. It's amazing. It followed him around for a day of broadcasting, a weekend of broadcasting on Sky. He, Cru- cruises into the Etihad, drives right up, parks next to the stadium, uh, walks in, sort of does, does his prep. Everything is obviously laid out huge. It's, he's like, you know... Um, like the president, you know, in this, it, welcome to the situation room, Mr. President. You know, this is, this is Neville doing it. And it's, it's like, a, it's an enviable setup. You know, if you've ever sort of been running to try and catch a, a train uh, with like a bunch of heavy equipment in really unergonomic boxes, sweating horribly, even though it's cold and raining, uh, <laughs> you will look at Gary Neville's setup and think, well, this is great. But there he is, cosseted, the pampered, the, the, the pampered sort of, uh, little piglet of the establishment uh and he's and he's punching down on on these it was embarrassing it was embarrassing he says truth tellers well well so so there's an obvious there's a and maybe with john cross too although again i didn't see what, what he was saying but a kind of a jealousy to guard your status like obviously if you have a certain status you were previously the voice i am i was the voice of the establishment and now suddenly this entirely new form has arisen which is phenomenally popular you know, the, like the, the troops video we're talking about, that's nearly half a million views, like after the what? Like, that's huge. They're huge numbers, you know, in a couple of days for considering, you know, what the, the nature of what, of what it is. But, you know, that is a, it's not just the mainstream media who do that. Here is DT. Uh, DT will be some of our fan TV viewers now talking after the Watford game. And as usual, you know, he's talking and there's a quite a big crowd of fans that have surrounded just to see the whole process taking place. So at some point he loses his rag a little bit, but here's what happened. I'm not listening to no fence sitting, no bullshit. No, this Listen, is a- hey, shut the fuck up a minute, yeah? Seriously, shut the fuck up tonight. I'm not in no mood for no little dickheads chatting shit right behind my fucking head. Shut the fuck up, right? And don't cut that out either. Because I'll say exactly how I see it. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you can print that. <laughs> so, so that's exactly the same thing. You know, it's exactly the same process. It's like DT, who is now kind of, who is now the establishment figure, jealously guarding his own status as he, as he holds the <laughs> conch of the Arsenal fan TV camera thing uh, and is speaking to his, his, uh, his enormous audience. And then some little upstart behind him starts, me, 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 me. You know, and he's going to come down pretty hard on that. So Who's I think this he, guy? I, I th- who is this? Who's this pleb? What are your qualifications? What are your qualifications? <laughs> I'm, I'm DT. I'm DT. Right. I've been standing here for six months. <laughs> <laughs> That's your. So, so, so everyone's kind of jealously defending their status, you know, and trying to guard it against the uh, 
the uh, the insurgency. But you know what what I, what is actually the revolution that Robbie talked about is is interesting. Like because he's talking about something which is really happening here. I mean, if you look at say the coverage of what happened at Arsenal last week, uh, John Cross had written a piece in the Mirror. Uh, the headline. Again, I say headline because I'm not sure if he wrote it frequently, the sub-editor's writing. But it said, Arsenal top brass baffled by anger of fans who, quote, have never had it so good, unquote, at the Emirates. Club chiefs are privately mystified by the abuse aimed at Arsene Wenger when they are third in the league, above rock star bosses Mourinho and Guardiola, and Klopp, they don't even mention him, Mm. still in Europe, and have two world-class players in the side. (laughs) It's like, what more? What more do you want? What more could, you know, are you not entertained? Say, people refer to as Arsenal top brass. But it's, I mean, it's it's hilarious, the kind of, uh, the dislocation between that view and the view that you see being expressed by the Arsenal, or a lot of the Arsenal supporters, the Arsenal supporters on the, on the fan channel. But precisely the issue that a lot of those fans have is the fact that there are only two world-class players in the team. Is that not it? Who's You've the got second? two world-class players. How many bloody world-class players do you need? Who's this the is one, Arsenal. By the way? Ozil is Ozil world-class in this? I assume. I assume it's talking about Sanchez. Ozil Sanchez. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose it's world-class. You've never bloody had it so good, Arsenal. But the point is, Wenger's been there for so many years, has a lot of money and has invested a lot in youth and yet they're in a position where they don't have enough good players. Is that not why they're not being successful? What do you mean? What is enough good players, Owen? How long is a piece of string? How many world-class players were there in the Arsenal side that won the title in 1989? Oh, 89. I thought you were going back to the early Wenger years. How many world-class players? Uh, Nigel Winterburn? Tony Adams is world-class. Why has it always got to be a foreign manager? Tony Adams. Merce. Tony Adams. Merce, Merce was good. Merce, Merce was good. He was a decent player. Was he world class? Well, I think the, that's a bit of a nebulous and irrelevant argument. They want to win the league. What, well, this is what is it? What is it about, right? What is what is football all about when you get down to it? Is it is it is football an aesthetic experience where you go to and and I think Arsene Wenger has always tried to mm. sell it in those terms. We play, you know, we play beautifully. We play according to our principles, our values. It's a pretty uh, handy argument for Arsene Wenger to, to have had in his locker for the last. But to be fair, years, it's one that he's terrible. also he's also made it when they were winning, which was before they weren't, and he's been consistent about that. And he and I think is genuine about that. He's like, you go to the, you get to go to the stadium, you come out, you, you've got this big crowd around you, you've got the electricity in the air, you've got that. Beautiful green sward of grass. And afterwards, of grass? and afterwards, you've got Arsenal fan TV. To you've got to you've got Sanchez, Sanchez and Ozil, you know, creating these beautiful patterns. Nobody else in the league plays the way they do. This is this is scientific. Literally, no, you won't see. I remember looking at some some um, examples of this. The the most frequent uh, player A, player B, player A pass combinations in the Premier League. Um, when one player. Player A has the ball, gives it to player B, and then gets it back. The, so the players in all the different teams who were the most frequent guys who get, 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 you know, gave the ball to each other, received it back, whatever. And usually it's like a right-sided uh, midfielder passing to the right back and getting it, or vice versa, the right back. Pass. You know, it's, mm. it's in those little areas. The easier passes. It's happening along the sides of the pitch. I think the top combination was Jan Matt and Sissoko at Newcastle. Because um, they just, Jan Matt would give it to Sissoko, then Sissoko would say, well, what do you want me to do to give it back? Whereas... The only exception to this in the sort of the top ten was Sanchez and Ozil, just p- threading passes to each other through the middle of the field. You do not see football of this delicacy and precision anywhere else in the Premier League. You will see a touch from 
this man, as Mesut Ozil in every game, that will take your breath away. Worth the price of, this, of the admission alone. Well, at least, <laughs> at least they'd like to think it was. Because it turns out that supporters are not looking for that. They don't care about that at all. That is not what matters at all. What matters is beating Chelsea, beating Tottenham, and glorying over them. Glorying over the fallen, but doing the Robin Van Persie knee slide past the Chelsea and Tottenham supporters that they know. And also, you know, Man United, whoever, whoever is coming along. But that's what's important. Just winning. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that this football is nice, that some of the players are skillful, the stadium is pretty, and that Arsenal have a, have a large fund of cash in the bank. In fact, that's one of the most infuriating things about it. Mm-hmm. Spend some money. The one thing you would say about it is I, I, don't, I don't... The one slightly disappointing thing about this sort of popular insurgency is that there is no alternative vision here, really. There's nothing... When, when the Arsenal supporters are talking about what kind of Arsenal they'd like to see once this corrupt establishment is swept away, once Wenger and all the other fat cats uh, are brought down, what do they actually want? A kind of a Chelsea setup, like an Eastern despot... You know, a billionaire who will come in and spend a lot of money on players. Yeah, that's, and that's what they, probably what they want. Yeah. That is probably what they want, right? It's kind of it's kind of grim. You see, Wenger is totally opposed to it. They've they've apparently offered him the contract. It's up to him whether he signs it. <laughs> They're not even. It's not even. Well, you know, maybe we'll wait till the end of the season for over. It's like, please sign. You know, it's and, and he will sign it because there's no way that he is going to get chased out of this job by a mob. No way. Every time he looks at Arsenal Fan TV, and I bet he does sometimes, every time he does, he's thinking to himself, I'm not going to give in to these people. I will not be driven out of here. I'm going to keep standing up. That, that's I'm not fucking leaving! <laughs> that is how I think he will justify He will justify it to himself. I hope everybody's okay there, by the way. There's, uh, there, there, was, there was a bit of shouting, Ken, during that item. Yeah. I know that. That can be. T- I know when I'm cycling. If I listen, if I hear shouting, can if well, of course you shouldn't be cycling and listening to a podcast. No, no. If I'm, if I'm cycling and then I, I pull over to listen to the podcast. Oh yeah, of course. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, where do you think I'm? Where do you think I'm? Not not licking that up off the stones, though. Spineless. You know, <laughs> I've I've seen. I mean, I suppose we always knew, but it's it does make it really obvious that you know the the more uh, nakedly emotional the content, the more shareable the more compelling <laughs> it becomes. And we could all play the political games of certain pundits. <laughs> you know? We all know who we're talking about. Or we could say it as it is. Or, or you know, just shout a bit. You know? <laughs> Not even say it. Maybe play political games, but also shout and sound like you really mean what you're saying. Say so, it like it might be. Say it like shout it might be. That. Basically, shout it like it might shout be. It like it might be. Nothing, we should get a t-shirt printed. There's nothing less interesting Shout it to like people. it might be. <laughs> Ken Hurdy's report on Twitter. Rational <laughs> analysis delivered in a, in, in a uh, calm, measured uh, fashion is literally the most boring thing anyone... Uh, just just shout, let it go. Lose yourself. Can you tell me there were quite a few stories you want to talk about? Oh, I know. We've yeah. talked about one so far. Well, I should mention Conte because, you know, he, he went along... A few Chelsea guys had, had big... Um, Sporting weekends, having beaten Arsenal, uh, Thibaut Courtois went to New York. Was at the Knicks uh, Cavaliers game. Okay, uh, that that evening. Nice trip. Uh, and then flew to Houston for the Super Bowl. Very nice trip. And uh, everyone is kind of like Thibaut. This is kind of a bit, you know, what about like training and that? Uh, I guess maybe 
uh, I don't know. They've they've got a. They're playing next week in the Champions League, I think. So not not this week. They've got a probably a bit of time off. Conte went to uh, Italy, where he went to the Juventus Inter match, uh, and afterwards spoke to Sky. Now there was an incident in the game where he uh, he attacked physically attacked and manhandled one of his coaches, um, uh, Angelo Alessio. Uh, this was after. There was a moment in the game when Arsenal nearly scored uh, from a set piece. It was uh, it was a Mustafi. I can't remember which Arsenal player had the header, but maybe it was Gabriel. It was saved by Courtois, but Conte went nuts. Uh, when I see something that isn't going right, he said much later in the day to, in Italy, I'm capable of murdering anyone. I was angry because Conte was supposed to track back in place of Moses, who had gone into the box, to mark the sixth Arsenal man in the corner. He didn't do that. I took it out on Alessio. He's been my right-hand man and thus, unfortunately, my victim for many years. Um, talked a bit about Kante and how great he was. Uh, he brings a, a lot of quantity, okay, but what quality too? He's extraordinary. Even if he should improve in his build of play, his first pass is always horizontal, and he needs to make that vertical. I was just like him, so I do understand. He's a really good lad, always helping his teammates. He's been a great buy, uh, though he's often tired by the time he gets to the goal. He's still young and can improve. Um, well, that's kind of scary. I know. If yeah, he does yeah. start playing more creatively and getting on the end of chances, then... Yeah, I'd be a little bit concerned. He is, uh, he is phenomenal. Um, so yeah, a great, great result for them. Uh, poor result, however, for the champions. We will be talking in more detail uh, about Leicester to Stuart James mm-hmm. uh, in a few minutes. But whew, they really got ripped up by Manchester United, whose first goal was a Leicester goal. Mkhitaryan scored a Vardy goal uh, against. It was actually a brilliantly taken goal by by Mkhitaryan, who's clever enough to give the credit where it belongs. Mourinho? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I can say we didn't start the game very well, says Mkhitaryan, who always looks kind of sad or haunted or something, all the time, even when he scored. He still looks, there's something wistful and sad in his expression. You know? I don't know what it is, but it was a, it was a great goal. Uh, similar kind of decisive finish to the, the previous one where he smashed it in over the goalkeeper's head. I can't remember who, I can't remember who that goal was against, but he's good uh, when he gets through. He, he finishes with a lot of... Uh, he. The, the word that Chris Smalling used, a strange word for a footballer to use about a game, but he said emphatic performance by the lads. And I would describe it as an emphatic finish by Mkhitaryan. But credit where credit's due. It was made possible by Jose Mourinho. He said, I can say we didn't start the game very well, says Mkhitaryan. But during the game, when the manager changed the formation and I came to the middle as a number 10, and Marcus Rashford started to play as a winger, I think we started to control the ball more and had more chances to score. And finally we did. Um... This was uh, Mourinho started with Rashford up front with Slatan. Gave it 20 minutes. <laughs> and then he's like, nah, that experiment has failed. Well, no, rather the experiment has succeeded. I've seen what I, I I've, I've, I've taken the reading and we won't be doing that again. That should quieten the little FOBs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, it was, again, you know, strong for Manchester United. He took advantage of uh, Arsenal and, and Liverpool. Uh, cocking it up over the weekend, and are right back uh, into it now. Um, uh, and and Jose Mourinho taking the opportunity to settle a few scores. Uh, which manager is he talking about? My team is playing very well, says Mourinho. But for many many years in my career, especially in this country, when my teams were ruthless and phenomenal defensively and very good in the counter attack, I listened week after week that it was not enough in spite of winning the title three times. It looks like this season, to be phenomenal defensively and good in counter-attack is art. <laughs> so it is a big change in England. 
<laughs> but my Manchester United, I don't want to change the profile of our play. This is the way the fans want us to play. This is the way the club wants us to play. But I also don't want to be a manager of a team who plays very well, creates a lot of chances, and doesn't win matches. We need to score goals. So I think there's two, maybe three managers who are getting uh, four managers, you could even say. Well, the Conte-Chelsea bit is one of the funnier bits of manager trolling that I've heard from Mourinho <laughs> in the last three years. Yeah. I have to say that's, you that's, can include, a, that's think, a welcome return to form for Mourinho, I would say. I think you could even include Pochettino in that, you know. I think that I think he could even be talking about him. Yeah. I mean, this is the one, you know, the, the insults are so double-edged, and obviously it's Klopp and Wenger on the other side. So he's he's nearly managed to get all of them, and you know he he didn't have a pop at Pep there, but he did a little earlier in the week when he explained. Um, the, he said, the, "That that is a new football. This is not Germany. In Germany, Bayern Munich, Bayern Munich start winning the league in the summer. They go to Borussia Dortmund every year. They buy their best player." One day they go there and they get Lewandowski. The next day they go there, they get Mario Götze. The next year they go there, they get Mats Hummels. So they win the league in the summer. <laughs> uh, do you think I can go to Tottenham and bring two Tottenham players to kill Tottenham? I cannot. I cannot go to Arsenal and bring the two best Arsenal players. I cannot go to Chelsea and bring two of the players that I love very, very much. The time is over. The time is over. The situation of starting being champion by attacking your direct opponents in this country is over. It is over. If you get a player from these clubs, you get a player... The club doesn't want to keep. You can't hurt anymore your direct opponents. So, so that was, uh, I think, a, a grand slam of, uh, of rival coaches insulted by the manager who's still last in the group, uh, although the gap is closing. That's it for Kennedy's report on sport. See if you don't got this out with Motherville, you're a wee mate. Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big Terry Boots here in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no peep, I take no peep, I take no, I take no, I take no peep. Just so soft, don't try to get some peep. You know me, but I can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. Listen to fans. You just need to fucking work, on it? You are nothing. You are a fool. And you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grip! He's the biggest fool in Manchester. Right, let's talk to Stuart James of The Guardian. We've talked to Stuart lots of times. He also collaborated with Jamie Vardy on his book, uh, From Nowhere, My Story. It's uh, the story, unfortunately, is unraveled this season, Stuart. Not that anyone can take away what happened last year with Leicester, but Claudio Ranieri after the game is saying last season everything was right, this season everything wrong. What exactly is wrong? Oh, it's incredible, really, the way it has unfolded this season. Um, I must admit, um, I was quite dismissive of the idea of relegation, even up to a couple of weeks ago. I think when they went down to Southampton that day on Sunday, I was still looking at it thinking if they got a couple of wins, they'd be around mid-table. But uh, I think it feels very differently uh, for those looking in from the outside and on the inside now. You know, Tasper Schmeichel's comment after the game admitting that uh, they are in real relegation trouble. And there's so many things that have not been right this season. I mean, you go through the team from back to front and it's difficult to find anyone who's played anywhere near the level they were at last season. Um, obviously, they've missed Kante. That goes without saying. He's been a huge loss to the team, but you can't pin everything on one player. Um, defensively, uh, they look all over the place at the moment. Morgan and Huth are really struggling. Fuchs is uh, not the same player as he was last season and 
and then you move further forward and you know I mean Mahrez hasn't scored a Premier League goal from open play since April last year I think it's since the night he was uh, picked up his PFA Player of the Year award Vardy's only got five goals to his name so you know you, your key influential players have been a long way off the pace and uh, you know you put all that together and it's obviously a, you know, a recipe for problems and and maybe looking back now, the Champions League group stage was masking over some of the cracks. Perhaps looking at those results, people weren't um, looking at some of the wider issues that were already there, really, in the Premier League. But clearly, it's got a lot worse now. And, you know, the big question really is what happens with Claudio Ranieri now? Mm, I, I can't imagine that Claudio Ranieri would have been happy with what Kasper Schmeichel was saying after the game, sure. I mean,. You know, he says it's been terrible, embarrassing. It's a time for each one of us from the top to the bottom of this club to stand up and be counted. If we don't, we will be relegated. Was there any need for him to, to point that out in such dark terms? You know what, Ken? sometimes I think, you know, it, there is no harm in coming out and really telling it as it is. Because, I mean, Claudio is an absolutely lovely man, such a dignified man. But sometimes, you know, it feels like this season he's, you know, skirting around things a little bit. And there's been so many times you can come out and say, we need to show spirit, we need to fight, that kind of talk. Because it starts to ring a bit hollow after a while. And I think, you know, Casper was perfectly entitled to come out and say what he did yesterday. I don't think he was saying anything that anyone in that dressing room isn't thinking. I think all the alarm bells are ringing now anyway. So, um, and I think sometimes fans admire a bit of honesty like that. You know, the last thing you want to hear is your manager... Um, or players trying to pull the wool over your eyes and insulting your intelligence. Anyone who's watched Leicester recently, anyone who was there today, uh, yesterday, sorry, would have been deeply concerned. It's not just the results, it's the performances, you know, the manner of the defeats. And the moment United got that second goal, really, you just couldn't see a way back from for Leicester. It's you know, worth bearing in mind, this is the team last season, it was sort of king of the fightbacks. You know, routinely, they were goals behind at Southampton, at Stoke, Aston Villa, against Aston Villa, and, you know, they, and they turn it round. Never at any moment yesterday did you get the feeling that Leicester had it in them to um, bring that game back in their favour. And yeah, it's uh, they're worrying times, and probably the last thing they need at the moment really is a, a local derby in the FA Cup against the team a league below on on uh, on Wednesday night. <laughs> um, I guess if you see the positive, you might think, well, it's an opportunity for them to get a little bit of confidence, but. Let's be honest, all the focus at the moment really is going to be on that game at Swansea on Sunday, not not the FA Cup. You mentioned there, Stuart, that, the, that Ranieri is skirting around things a little bit, maybe not addressing some of the problems head on. Is that any different to last season? Is is he doing anything differently, do you know, from, no, I, I, from I, how he approached last year? Yeah, I mean, in terms, of, sorry, in terms of how he's sort of talking to us, the media, it's not really any different. I mean... Last season, uh, the story was right in itself, really. And from a journalist's perspective, it didn't really matter too much what Claudio was saying. And, you know, if he was coming out with lots of funny quips like Dilly Ding, Dilly Dong, or saying I'm not Obama, you know, and things like that, it made nice headlines. You know, it didn't really matter if there wasn't substance to it. But I think when things go wrong, then, you know, there needs to be a bit more of the nitty gritty. And, you know, why is this happening? And that's not really what you're getting from you know, Claudio at the moment, maybe maybe you can forgive him for that. Perhaps, you know, he's not going to want to bear his soul and, you know, and reveal all of Leicester's problems in public. But, you know, in terms of the way he's going about the team, I I think that one of the issues this season is, has been the, the way that the tactics have changed quite a bit. You know, sometimes it's short notice and, 
and they've probably moved away from being that team they were last season. Which how, was, sorry, Stuart, how do, you, how do you mean at short notice? Well, there was a game, I know when they played away at Copenhagen and uh, the Champions League, you know, it was less than two hours just before kickoff when he, when he uh, you know, told the players it was going to be 3-4-3. Three, three. You know, and you know, you'd probably think that you might give a bit more notice than that to, you know, play with a new system. Oh, really? yeah, are, are, you s- to wrap up qualification. are you are you saying that he, he said, he kind of announced it was going to be 3-4-3, three, three. it wasn't the case that they'd been working on 3-4-3 three, three for, you know... No, exactly, exactly, that's it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, so what, yeah, that's, that's an isolated incident, but it's I think it's symptomatic in some ways of, of you know Claudio's thinking at times this season where where you know he's been he's been desperately trying to change things to get a reaction and perhaps not always you know communicating things in the best way. But you know let's have it fair here as well. You know I'm criticising Claudio. The players have massively underperformed. There's no getting away from that. So you know you can't pin everything at Claudio's door. Um, these, these are the same players who won the title by 10 points last season and, you know, were everyone's heroes. Uh, and that's the that's the difficult thing. And I think everyone at Leicester, they're not leaving this, you know, a stone unturned trying to work out why it's gone wrong. But, you know, the problem they've got now is obviously games are running out and, and what do you do to try and get them to snap out of this? And I think the concern for them as well is while they're, um, you know, plummeting down the table, the club's at the bottom showing signs of life. And some of them that you might have written off a few weeks ago, like Sunderland and Hull, look like they're right up for it now. And, you know, even with a real chance of getting getting clear. So that's the problem. You know, they've all of a sudden found themselves not just close to the relegation zone, close to the two points off the bottom. Um, so it's quite alarming. But I think it's a very difficult one for the club's owners in the context of what Claudio did last season. Mm. And also, bearing in mind that they're still in the FA Cup, and um, you know, more to the point, they're still in the Champions League. <laughs> could they realistically sack Ranieri? It's so strange. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, they, they possibly could, but you got, God, it'd be it'd be rough. Just on the the players, just to move away from Ranieri for a second. You mentioned yeah. Vardy and Mares obviously haven't been hitting the heights this season. Do you think the problem yeah. could be psychological there? If I'm Jamie Vardy or Riyad Mahrez, I might be thinking, Jesus, it's actually hard to get going here for these games. We we could have moved, could have had big money moves to other clubs. We've stayed here, we've shown our loyalty, and realistically, we're never going to be competing near the top of the table again. It can't be that easy yeah. to be as as tuned in, maybe as last season. I know what you're saying, and I think you know. Someone said to me, um, you know, during preseason, uh, you know, what it was like for the players, and they likened it to sort of you know they'd climbed Everest last season and. You know, come back down, and then we're told you know, appreciate effectively to try and get back up the thing again. And it was like, wow, really? You know, not that, not in terms of trying to expect them to win the title, but you know, it was always going to be hard to see what was the goal for Leicester this season. And Ranieri talks about forty points. I'm not really sure you can say to a group of players who just won the title, go and get forty points. But by the same token, you can't say go and win the league again. I mean, come back to your point on Mares and Vardy. I think they're very different cases um, for the simple reason that. You know, Mares didn't have a chance to go elsewhere. My gut feel is he may well have liked to have done that, but he didn't have that opportunity. There wasn't a, a serious offer on the table for him. It was different with Vardy. He obviously could have gone to Arsenal. The release clause was triggered, and that was his decision to to stay at Leicester. So, you know, perhaps he, you know, had got his head round that and what the what what the challenges ahead were going to be more than maybe Mares had. You know, I still think that. You know that Mares may well have seen this, and I don't know this, but my gut feel is Mares may well have thought, you know, one more season and then, and then I'll get my move kind of thing. But you know, Vardy nailed his colours to the mast last summer. Um, that's not to say, of course, that for any moment he would have thought uh, the season would turn out 
the way it did. And I don't think anyone did. You know, I thought they might be mid-table somewhere around there. But, you know, what's happened recently, you know, the run of four straight defeats, not scored a league goal this year. You really are thinking, crikey, this is, um, this is heading towards the championship. Mm-hmm. I think it must also, Stuart, though, have something to do with the fact that um, Leicester are just a much higher profile team than previously. Opponents are studying them much more carefully. Or, you know, yeah. that, that, that the league as a whole has adapted to playing against Leicester. The only team that didn't do that That's this season point, yeah. was Manchester City. And Vardy scored a yeah. hat-trick and, yeah. and they trashed Manchester City. Um, but yeah. but it's as though that... I mean, you, see, you can see the same thing happening with Liverpool at the moment to an extent where an effective style of play is figured out by opposing teams and suddenly it doesn't work anymore and this seems to be happening yeah. to lesser on a grand scale. Yeah, no, no, absolutely fair point. You're right. I mean, that Man City game, it was sort of you know, suicide in a way, the way uh, Guardiola set his team up that night and I don't think nobody could believe it that someone was going to play a high line against a team that, you know, love to have that spacing behind which they haven't had all season. But, you know, I guess it's up, for Le- up to Leicester to find ways to counter that. Um, Look, you know, you come back to Kante as well, and I think he was the trigger for so many things last season. The, the statistics that you're seeing this season with Chelsea are, you know, incredible, really. And, and you look at it. I think there was I read the other day that he's he's made more tackles um, over the last 18 months, uh, or over the last two and a half years, than any other player. And he's been in, you know, in the Premier League for 18 months. It's it's, it's incredible. And you know, if he's not if you, if you suddenly have that taken out of your team, then that you know impacts on all sorts of people. I think it's it's affected Drinkwater badly. You know, Drinkwater was outstanding last season. He's not the same player now. You know, and that may well be down partly to him, but also to the fact that he doesn't have Kante there now doing all the things he was doing last season. But you know, come back to that point, really, Ken. That you have to find a way to to adapt, don't you, and to change. And you know, you that, that's up to the manager to do and and his staff to to sort of find a way to to play slightly differently. I'm not, another fact that I haven't touched on yet, I, I think the recruitment hasn't been great in the last two windows. Everyone at the club, the players, the staff, wanted a lift in, in the January transfer window. They didn't really get that. They needed a top-class central defender. They tried to sign Michael Keane last summer. They probably should have you know, gone after him even more when Burnley turned down the sort of 15 million. And, and I think they've suffered badly in that area. Morgan and Hoof needed someone putting real pressure on them. And they haven't had that. Um, and the other signings just haven't integrated, you know, in the way they would have hoped. I'm not sure about Slomani and Vardy playing together. Um, it's a bit of a mess, yeah. true. <laughs> right. um, you know, and they've got to try and stumble over the line now. And that's, you know, that's it. You look at it in, well, there's like 14 games left, I think, now. And uh, it's, you know, it's all about just trying to get to the near that 40-point mark now. Um I can't see them doing anything in in the Champions League. Um, so, yeah, it's a it's a weird season. It just feels strange. It felt quite sad actually being at the King Power yesterday and, and looking at Ranieri stood there on his own on the touchline and you know the guy who was the hero last season and just looked really sort of powerless to do anything to change what was happening in front of him. Yeah. Um, so there we go. It's. Uh, a bit bleak at the minute. A little bit bleak at the minute, yeah. And just looking at the teams they're down there with, I mean, it's actually going to be very exciting. If Chelsea are going to walk away with the league, at least it looks like we're going to have an amazing relegation fight because yeah. there are three teams and 21 points, including Leicester, just above the relegation zone. And you've got Hull, Crystal Palace and Sunderland. Thankfully, yeah. no, no team has just bottomed out as it often happens. So everybody is still in there, still fighting for this title of not getting relegated. Listen, that's absolutely brilliant stuff. Stuart James, great to talk to you. Thanks a million. Thanks a lot, chaps. Take care.
I can't really believe that there was no serious... I'm sorry, not that I don't believe Stuart James. Um, I, I'm not saying this is something that didn't... He's wrong on this. I'm just incredulous about it, that there was no serious offer for Riyad Mahrez. Well, when, when you say serious offer... From a, a from a club that he might be interested in joining. He, he didn't have the, the option to go to Arsenal, for example, I guess. See, a, a, seri- a serious offer, I guess, would be an offer which Leicester are prepared to take seriously, i.e. one for, you know, £30 million pounds mm. kind of thing. I mean, you're not going to sell Mars for less than that. He's the player of the year. You know, he he was... Was he Pia? I mean, him and... Vardy won the two awards, right? I can't remember which was Vardy the footballer of the year and Mahrez was the player's player of the year. Mahrez was PFA, yeah. And, um, you know, so so a ser- I'm sure that there were plenty of clubs interested in him, but maybe not interested at that price because, I guess, of the fact that Mahrez had, you know, although he was good in, in bits the previous season for Leicester, this was his first real campaign. So people are maybe interested to see if he can keep it up. And in the evidence of this season so far, he was playing a lot better than you can usually expect him to play mm. that season. I mean, he showed that if he's in a team which is well set up, uh, in which he's got a, a job that he's, he's cut out to do, as it was last season, and, and with teammates who are in form and can't take giving him the ball all the time, he can be a really, really good player. Um, and this season he showed that in a team where things aren't quite so good, neither is he. Mm. So... Um, so what that means is that his price will come down and he will leave Leicester, I guess, this summer because he's clearly a very talented footballer. Um, and he'll want to leave as well because of how badly everything has gone and it's clear there's no future there. You know, uh, as to what they can do, I don't know. I mean, we, we were talking about Liverpool there. Liverpool just are stuck in this groundhog day now. Every game is the same game. Uh, the goals they let in are the same goal. You know, either it's a goalkeeper mistake or it's a it's a long ball. It's a, it's a it's an end to end counter attack, which which is just it's so embarrassing that they that they continue to make these mistakes in every game. You know, it's it's like uh, you know, managers sometimes have to come up with new plans. Liverpool are at a point where they really need to uh, need to. Whether I don't think it's an attacking issue. I actually think it's an, it's mostly a defensive issue. Yeah, and a goalkeeping issue. You mentioned it there. The, even when the goalkeeper changes, the mistakes continue to happen. And like in the case of Midland at the weekend, the first goal, in particular, second goal is actually pretty bad. His body language around it, there's, there's no certainty about that I'm going to come out and I'm going to stop this. Mm. This happens to a lot of goalkeepers. There's a ball over the top, you start coming out and then you backpedal. It's a tricky situation. So it's not like it's a clangor. And to be honest, I probably wouldn't have noticed it if it's not that Mignolet mm. has been making so many mistakes. But he was just, there was no no confidence that I'm going to make myself big in the old Peter Schmeichel way or to, to use one example. And the first goal was just bizarre. He was so slow and lackadaisical getting out to quite quite an easy ball to punch away. No, it's all awful. Yeah. Absolutely awful. And I mean, it's, but you're, I think, you're, you're screwed. Like if your goalkeepers are making mistakes all the time, you can't build anything. Yeah, uh, but you know, you've got to, you, you've also got to decide which one of them to play. And I think at this stage, they're better off with the devil they don't know. <laughs> you know, because Loris Karius obviously was dropped for playing so badly. But they don't yet know that he's definitely going to be a failure. Whereas Mignolet already... <laughs> the vote of confidence. Mignolet already yeah. is that. So it's time. They might as well play Karius for the rest of the season. It doesn't even matter what mistakes he makes. Just assume every time he makes a mistake, Mignolet would have made a similar mistake <laughs> at some point. And after, the, after three or four months of that... I think they'll have a better idea of whether they tally do. All, tally all those mistakes up and see. Is Do we definitely need a new goalkeeper or is this guy worth giving a shot? You know, Is he even worth keeping on as a subkeeper? At least they would learn that over the remaining four months. Jonathan Wilson is still in Gabon where he witnessed a shock victory, would you say, for Cameroon in the Africa Cup of Nations final against Egypt, Jonathan? 
Um, well, I think not in the way the tournament's gone, um, but but certainly, uh, yeah. I, I, at the start of the tournament, I, I didn't. I just sort of thought there was maybe ten teams had a chance of winning it, and Cameroon one of the six. That I, you know they were dismissed as the the weakest Cameroonian squad in a generation, and, and I think player for player that's probably true. But equally, it's true that um, over the last fifteen years since the last one, it's, you know, we've seen squads repeatedly undermined by by cliques, by by egos in the dressing room. And what Hugo Bros has done is he's, he's got rid of all the egos, got rid of all the difficult characters, and they've got a great team spirit. And I think the you know, the real sign of that was that the two players he scored last night, um, uh, Nakuma and, and uh, Abu Bakr, they're what you probably would call the more senior players, two players who would expect to be starting games, and yet they've pretty much been on the bench throughout the tournament, came off the bench last night. Um, and so the fact they were... You know, played well, was so committed. You didn't go off in a strop. Suggests that the level of uh, togetherness they have. And you know, Hugo Bruce said afterwards that you know, this is not 23 players, it's 23 friends. And I think you saw that the way that when they were celebrating on the pitch, the players picked up Hugo Bruce, who's you know, what, 64, 65 years Belgium, was sort of tossing him in the air. And it was almost like watching every Renault with Zambia five years ago, that, that level of togetherness. Did you feel sorry at all for the defeated Egypt manager, Hector Cooper, who continues his incredible record of losing in finals, the 1998 Copa del Rey, the 1999 Cup Winners' Cup, the, 90, the 2000 Champions League final, the 2001 Champions League final, the last day of the 2002 Serie A season. He always loses in the final, and it happened again. Yeah, I, I mean, I felt sorry for him. I felt sorry for, for Egypt generally, I think. Um, you know, football in Egypt uh, was abandoned for two years. I mean, I was I was here last time when um, five years ago when when the the uh, riot and um, the seventy four deaths happened in Port Said. Uh, so football was abandoned for two years after that, um, and you, the game is still played behind closed doors. Um, so huge problems domestically in Egyptian football, and yet they got to the final. I, I think. Um, you know, there was a bit of a perception problem with Egypt that we remember the side that won 2006, 2008, 2010. Still two players in this squad who, who played in those three, in, um, Al-Hadari, the goalkeeper, and Ahmed Fati, the fullback. Uh, and people maybe sort of are comparing it you know, to that generation, but actually the circumstances are very, very different. And for Egypt to get as far as the final was an extraordinary achievement. And I think that's, you know, that's the point the keeper keeps, keeps making. Um, he's very aware of that, that, that record of always losing at the last um, but he also makes the point that, well, how many of those teams would you even have thought of have been capable of getting to the final? So you have Valencia, two Champions League finals. This Egypt side, getting to the final is an astonishing achievement. In the end, they didn't quite look fit enough. Um, but the problem is when you build them all up and you, you, you add them together, rather than looking like this great achievement of having got a, a weaker side that far, it looks like he always fails at that. And, and I guess both are true. John, I remember talking to you after the Euros, or maybe during the Euros um, last summer, where uh, you were talking about the the way in which the quality of the football had had really suffered because there's a lot of extra teams in, and too many of the games had just become these very dull uh, contests of attack against defence, where one team was obviously much stronger than the other, um, but you know there was the, there was a lot of kind of organised defences and teams that were just playing on the counter attack. I wondered, um, did you see any of the same patterns at this tournament, or does it give does the African Championship give uh, actually maybe slightly rosier view of uh, the possibilities of international football? 
think that's quite a difficult question to answer. I mean, I, I think this is a lot more fun tournament than the Euros. Um, but then, you, I mean, I was actually quite surprised. I looked this morning and uh, there was 64 goals in 32 games. So an average of exactly two goals per game. It's the second lowest couple of nations since they switched to 16 teams back in 2000, was it? 19, yeah, 2000, when they switched to 16 teams. Uh, but it didn't feel like that. It felt like a much more open, much more progressive tournament. The football felt a lot better. I think probably since of any tournament, any couple of nations since 2008, maybe even before that. Um, but 2008 was a lot of goals, but I think a lot of it was pretty poor defending. This tournament, I think there's just some, some very, very good football in often quite difficult conditions. I mean, I think the, the, the pitch in Pochantee was, was awful. I mean, it was almost impossible to turn that pitch. Uh, the very simple passes would be bobbling all over the place. Players were clearly concerned about their footing on the surface, uh, but no, no one would ever strike a ball first time because he just couldn't trust it. The pitch in OEM wasn't, wasn't as bad as that, but it wasn't good. Liberville was, was just about okay. The pitch in Fonsfield was fine. Um, so bearing all that in mind, um, I think the football was actually very good. And of those 64 goals, a huge proportion seemed to be brilliant goals. I mean, I think we had seven free kicks, a load of long-range strikes, some very good passing moves ending in goals. I mean, yeah, Elneny's goal was a great goal last night, never mind Abu Bakar's, uh, which won it, which was a, a stunning goal to win, it, win a tournament. Um, but then I guess you ask yourself, you know, it's been better than previous Cups of Nations. It's felt more open. Is it actually good? Are any of these teams going to win the World Cup? No. And I think we're probably further from an African team winning a World Cup than we were when I first started coming here in, in, in 2002 when you had you know, the, the, you know, that Senegal side who ended up getting to the quarterfinal. They were just sort of building. We didn't quite realise how good they were, but you could tell they were a very good side. You had that great Nigeria team with Kanu and Sunday Lise and JJ Kocha and Tribo West and Tanidi George. You had that, that Cameroon side with Patrick Mbomo and Samuel Eto and Jeremy and Lauren and Rigobert Song. You know, there's, there's nothing now to match that. What has happened is that the, you know, the spread of talent is probably more even across Africa. That, you know, I, you know, I said at the start that I think 10 of the 16 teams could have won this tournament and there's actually 11 that did. But teams like DR Congo, Burkina Faso, they could qualify for the World Cup. And they, they, yeah, they do well. They, they, they wouldn't be an embarrassment. Um, we think back to 2006 when Togo and Angola qualified for the World Cup. Okay, didn't do much when they were there. But even the fact they can qualify, it's not just the same five or six teams. I think that suggests uh, some kind of development in African football. The, the problem is the top end, I think, is not necessarily... Well, I think say it's worse than it is 15 years ago. But the middle is, is better than it was. Jonathan, safe home. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. I was watching the last 20 minutes of this game, as you mentioned, Ken, earlier, on Eurosport. Well oh, yeah. done, well done, I should say, to Sky and Discovery. For they got around a table, didn't they? They own? got around a table. They, they hammered out a last-minute deal to keep Eurosport available on the Sky package. I didn't want to have to protest, Murph. Do you, I don't know if any of you guys remember the old we, we want our MTV back t-shirts from the early 90s around the, du- <laughs> the Dublin city centre area. No. I want my MTV. Yeah, MTV had been, was taken away for a couple of years. There was a few weird things going on with the TV stations that were available. So Simon is, Simon's of an age. Simon <laughs> wore one of those. <laughs> Sorry, Simon. Uh, yeah, there was, there, were, it was, there was this campaign to get MTV back. <laughs> I don't know okay. who the campaign was aimed at, just general, the world. Give us our MTV back. And uh, well, MTV came back a couple of years later, Ken, but luckily we haven't had to protest, take to the streets to get Eurosport not forgetting Animal Planet, Murph, and all the other great Discovery channels. I don't know if I'd hit the streets for Animal Planet. You know? I mean, maybe if I was backed into it and someone put a really, you know, cogent argument together for me, I may retweet something. Yeah. 
but I wouldn't <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't leave something. the house for Animal Planet. It was a great winning goal by Abubakar, as Jonathan mentioned there, reminiscent of Gaza in Euro 96 against Scotland. Mm. He, he Colin Henry did a defender before slotting it home. I did mm. tweet afterwards that the Indomitable Lions is one of the best nicknames in world sport, Ken. Yeah, it is. Joe Donald got back to me to say, never mind nicknames, even African official club names are class. Example, Swaziland's finest. I don't know if you know this one. No. 11 men in flight is the name of one of their teams. It's pretty good. And Joe says Whopper Club badge as well. I'll show you the club badge here if you want to describe it for our listeners. This oh, is they a- are. It's actually, they've got a plane yeah. on the badge. Uh, uh, X1 men in flight in, uh, black on orange semicircle over a football and a plane flying past it and in flight forever yeah FC that's a pretty amazing badge team name and motto but yeah way. it's good so uh, well done to Swaziland's finest club team <laughs> I can't believe that we got to the end of this podcast and we didn't even have time to talk about David Beckham's emails oh yeah I mean this well, this Catherine Jenkins huh I have to say oh, I did it did give me a giggle on Saturday morning I feel almost guilty admitting <laughs> that I I read these stories uh, of David Beckham's hacked emails with a great deal of amusement. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, okay, so so some there's a, there's a suggestion now that the people who hacked his email or emails between him and his advisors had uh, had tried to blackmail him first, had asked for money, but as we know from the emails, uh, old alligator arms. Doesn't like giving away millions of pounds or dollars just, you know, willy-nilly. Though he may possess many hundreds of those, he doesn't necessarily want to just be putting up, you know, dipping his hand in his pocket too often, whether it's to put in money for a UNICEF prize fund or whether it's to, you know, pay off blackmailers. <laughs> but, you know, and and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of people listening will have looked at some of the things. I mean, essentially, the, the theme that emerges is of David Beckham desperately trying to be become Sir David Beckham and becoming increasingly peevish and angry when, for some reason, the the honors list, whoever decides the honors list, keeps overlooking all this charity work that he's doing. Uh, I mean, it suggested that even he, his support for this for Scotland voting uh, no to stay in the UK was was to curry favour with this establishment. So his obsession with that is obviously quite funny. Mm. But the sort of larger point about it in a way is that his emails got hacked. This is this is just more of a thing now. This is gonna happen to a lot of people. You know, it's clear that this is just sort of the next way. I mean Gary Lineker I saw tweeting about saying, is there really anything different between hacking emails and hacking phones? No. Nope. Uh no, it's all uh, access, unauthorized access to your information. I think you can take it that your emails have already been hacked. It's just when they're going to get released. Yeah, mm-hmm. when, what's, what's the point at which we can cause maximum embarrassment? And I have to say that, okay, I haven't, I haven't seen the, the data cache myself. I haven't looked through it. I've only seen what I've read in some of the English tabloids. And there's not really that much there. I mean, if this is the worst thing in David Beckham's email, yeah, I mean, that's pretty good. I have to say, he's, he actually is. I mean, Rich person uses charity uh, in a less for, for PR reasons. I mean, like, <laughs> my God, I mean, but like you know, because because it, it was all about oh Beckham, not so squeaky clean now, golden balls. And actually, I was thinking if this is the juiciest stuff in his email, this is among the squeakiest clean. This men. might be the most squeaky clean man in public life at the moment. It's all true. His saintly image is in fact true because okay, there's a few th- few little embarrassing things in there, but come on, you know, like. Uh, let he who is uh, without sin um, hack the first the email. email. Quick, remi- <laughs> <laughs> Quick reminder, the Second Captain's World Service launches on secondcaptains.com next Monday, the 13th of February. You can become a member 
on that day and get six podcasts a week from then on including daily shows from Tuesday to Friday email editor at secondcaptains.com or tweet us at secondcaptains if you want more information on any of that our first podcast today Murph featured Ireland's defeat in Murrayfield and what else Reflections oh yeah I mentioned earlier on Reflections on the most remarkable Super Bowl ever I know we always say that immediately after an amazing sporting event I've probably said it a hundred times on this show but I don't see how you can beat a 25-point comeback. Yeah, biggest comeback in a Super Bowl before last night, 10 points. Mm. Last night, 25 points. And with all the the off-the-field stuff going on in that country and surrounding a lot of the chief participants, it made for uh, sporting theatre at its most dramatic anyway. And remember, that's it, actually. I should thank you, first of all, guys. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thank Thank you you very much. Ken, Owen, you're amazing. Thanks so much for listening. And remember, whatever else you do today, make sure to shout it like it might be. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.